Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7. Now, before I get into the message this morning, um, yesterday, Nathaniel Tennant's father went home to be with the Lord. And so this, it was a very sudden thing. He had been sick, but they thought that they would have him for a while longer. So uh, let's take a minute now and pray for the tenants. We don't have the arrangements yet, I don't believe, uh, for the services. But as soon as we get that information, we'll get that out to you. But let's take a minute and pray for the tenant family. Lord, you know exactly where they are, and uh, Nathaniel and Tim and his sister, Lord, the family. And this is such a hard time for them. And Lord, I pray that you'll be the God of all comfort for them, that we as a church can be the church that they need. And Father, I pray that, uh, that you'll be glorified through this time. But it is a time of mourning, a time of, of sorrow for them. Please, Lord, I pray that you'll help them. In Jesus' name, amen. Zechariah chapter 7, look at verse 1. And it came to pass... Oh, let me just set this up a little bit. So... Chapters 1 through 6 were a series of either 8 or 10 visions, depending on how you divide them up. And they all took place in one night. All of those visions were given to Zechariah in one night, chapters 1 through 6. It's taken us like seven years to get through that one night, but we'll, we'll try and pick up the pace a little bit now. Chapter 7 is two years later. So two years have, ha have passed from the night that Zechariah got the message or the visions. And now th we're, we're taking a break. Chapters 7 and 8 are very much practical information. Chapters 9 through 14 are all prophecy. It's amazing stuff. Those visions in chapters 1 through 6 give us the history of the nation of Israel. How, what God has done, what He's going to do, all of that are in those chapters. Then there's more specific prophecies that are coming that are just spectacular. There's some very practical information, though, in chapters 7 and 8. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks, Lord willing, on these things. So that's the setup. The temple, it takes them four years to complete the temple from the preaching of Haggai and the preaching of Zechariah. And we're two years into that now. And a delegation is sent to Zechariah, to Jerusalem, with a question. Let's look at that. Chapter 7, verse 1. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, even in Kislev. Now, it's interesting how often God tells the prophet what's going to happen before it happens. So God came to Zechariah and told him, you're going to get these visitors, and then look at what happens. Verse 2, when they had sent... Uh, let me, uh, he didn't tell them they were going to get the visitors. He gave, them the mess he gave him the message that he was to give them when they came. Verse 2, when they had sent unto the house of God, Sherezer and Regamelech and their men to pray before the Lord. So they come to pray before God where the temple is being built, but also, verse 3, and to speak unto the priests which were in the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets. So the priests, that would be uh, Joshua, we've seen him, and also these prophets would be Haggai and Zechariah saying, look at this, here's their question. Should I weep in the fifth month, separating myself as I have done these so many years? Lord, help us now as we study your word. What an interesting text. And Lord, I don't know if there's a more 
needful message for us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned to the Sunday school class, and I mentioned to my family yesterday that this is a message that I really don't want to preach because I'm not doing very well at what we are taught to do in this passage. You're going to see in a minute, Ty's already laughing at me because I warned the deacons ahead of time what was going to happen. So here's the title of my message. Where's Tyler? Tyler, where are you? Tyler and Michael. Here's the title of my message. Do I have to? You ever told your kids to do something? Do I have to? That's the message. That's the, do you see that that's what they're asking right here? Look at verse 3 again. And to speak unto the priests, which were in the house of the Lord of hosts, and to the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month, separating myself, as I have done these so many years? So here's what's going on. The Jewish leaders liked to add rituals to the things that God had told them to do. So by the time they're done, there's 613 different rules they had to keep. How many of you would have a hard time memorizing 613 rules? Right? It's hard enough to remember the 10 <laughs> that, we've, that God actually gave us. And so they have all of these rules that they're supposed to be keeping, things that they've added on to the law. And here they're talking about the feast days. Look at verse 4. Then came the word of the I'm sorry, not feast days, fast days. Then came the, how many of you know the difference between a feast and a fast? Okay. I'm pretty good at the feasting, the fasting I struggle with. All right. Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land, and to the priests, saying, Look at this. When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, so that fifth and seventh month, in the fifth month, what they were doing was they were remembering, they, remembering, <laughs> they were remembering. What happened there was that was halfway between commemorating and remembering. And it came out remembering. They were commemorating and remembering the destruction of the temple by Nebuchadnezzar. And the, the date was Tisha B'Av. And they, they would remember that day through mourning and fasting. They added that while they were in their 70 years of captivity. The seventh month... They had, this was the, their remembering the last rebellion against Babylon before they were carried away. And it was the murder of Gedalia, not Javelia, the coffee, Gedalia, a different guy. He was murdered and then they killed 80 people and they brought that on. So what had happened was God had, in the book of Leviticus, had told them one fast day. And it was the day of atonement. One fast day a year. God commanded Israel to have. The leaders added four more. So are these five fast days? You couldn't eat, but not only couldn't you eat, but you had to cry the whole day. You had to mourn. You had to cry. Now, how many of you have a hard time working up tears for something that you, know, you just don't even care about? And so it was fake. They had to work this up. These were man-made rituals. And so they come and they ask, do I have to do this? And God gives the answer. Now, they're only asking about the first, that fifth month. But God says in verse 4, Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh month, even those seventy years, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? 
and when ye did eat, and when ye did drink, did not ye eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity, and in the cities thereof round about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain? So you can see there's a paragraph mark there in verse 8, and the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, so now God is going to give them the message. But let's look at this first part today, verses 1 through 7. Let's, let's take a look at this. So basically just three points. First one is, why do we do spiritual things? Why do we do spiritual things? Now, in this context, they're doing spiritual things that man has ordered them to do. God didn't tell them to do these fasts. God didn't tell them to do that. He didn't require it of them. And so now you have these men who are sent from a group of people to the priests, to the prophets, and saying, okay, we have this ritual that we have been commanded to do. Do we have to do it? We're back in the land now. The temple's being built. We're not in captivity anymore. Do we have to keep mourning and fasting? That's the question. So in the context, this is speaking about man-ordained religious mourning and fasts. Listen to what James... I'm going to quote James Knox a couple of times from his commentary in this message. He wrote this. This verse tells us a great deal about the spiritual condition that prevailed before, during, and after the Babylonian captivity. So these are the attitudes the people had. The priests had added much to the Word of God. The idea of human mandate standing on equal footing with or above the words of Scripture is not a Roman Catholic invention. How many of you came from a Roman Catholic background? And you would do things in your services, in your, in your worship times, that if you looked in the Scriptures, you wouldn't find them. Now, we do things in here that you wouldn't necessarily find in Scripture. Okay, So it's not necessarily wrong to do something in a worship service that is not commanded in Scripture. As a matter of fact, God never corrects the Jews in this chapter for having those fast days. He doesn't say you should not have done it. Neither does he say you should have done it. He's silent on it. God allows us to give worship to him in ways that are individual and personal to us. There are things we're commanded to do, like for the church, we're commanded to come together. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. We're told, together on the, told to come together on the first day of the week. When we come together, we're supposed to sing, and we're supposed to, to proclaim God's word, and we're supposed to encourage each other. These are commands that God has given us to do. All right? These were man-made commands that were given. So let me finish what Knox says. The priests had added much to the word of God. The idea of human mandate standing on equal footing with or above the words of Scripture is not a Roman Catholic invention, but was the mainstay, listen, of a corrupt priesthood long before the days of Jesus. Now, it is not a sin for people to seek counsel from the spiritual leaders God has given them, and that's what these guys are doing. It is a tragedy when those men provide religious traditions rather than holy writ. So imagine if you come to me and you say, Pastor, I'm struggling with something in my life. What do you think I should do? Well, I think what you ought to do is get a toothbrush and some comet, and the grout on the bricks on the church building is looking nasty. So what I think that you ought to do, since you're struggling with this, is every time you scrub a grout line, pray this prayer. 
Now, how many of you think I would not have very many counseling sessions if that's the kind of counseling that I would give? But do you understand that's exactly what religious leaders have done for the last 2,000 years? Uh, When we took a missions trip years ago when uh, I was on staff at the church in Oklahoma, we went to Monterey, Mexico. The pastor and a group of the men from the church had to go with the missionary to Mexico City to care for something. I think they just wanted to get out of the work we were doing. But anyway, it's a different subject. They go to Mexico City, and one of them was Laura's brother, Paul. And they brought back pictures of this huge courtyard. And you can Google it. Look at the, this, not right now, but you can, you can see these pictures of this huge courtyard in Mexico City where there's a huge Roman Catholic cathedral there. And you'll see little ladies and and others on these cobblestones on their knees, starting at the gate and crawling on their knees through this huge area, hundreds of yards, praying a specific prayer so that they can get forgiveness of sin or a prayer answered through the bloody knees that they have. And there are people there, if I remember right, selling little napkins that they can put under their knees as they crawl. Uh, I I was in Rome, and I went to what's called the Holy Steps. And it's right across from, I think, St. Luke's Cathedral there. And it's on one of the seven hills of Rome. But there's there's this cathedral. They call it the Holy Steps. Remember, Constantine's mother, she, this is in the 300s A.D., she went back to the Holy Land and supposedly got visions about where certain things had happened. So she found these steps, and she said that these were the steps of Pilate's hole. And they found the blood of Jesus on those steps, which miraculously had been there for 300 years. And so they found a drop of that blood, and they put that drop of blood in this golden case at the top of the stairs in Rome. And if you climbed those stairs on your knees praying, then that blood would come alive for you and would give you a certain number of free sins. So I've got pictures of people doing that. So do you see how me saying take a toothbrush and scrub the grout is not very much different from either of those rituals, is it? And you see people in religions all over the world, whether it's walking across coals of fire or whatever, people trying to appease a righteous and a holy God through man-made means. And so here, the question is, do I have to? So let me tell you, you do not have to scrub the grout in our bricks with a toothbrush to get an answer from God. Amen? I'd actually prefer that you didn't because some of the grout's coming loose and we've got to get that fixed. So please do not do that. It it is interesting the things, that the burdens that people put on people's backs and on people's shoulders that have nothing to do with the Scripture. So the question is, do I have to? When it comes to man-made rituals, no. You don't have to do any of that. You do not have to do it. And a terrible thing is when someone comes to a religious leader for a religious answer and they get an answer from man-made tradition when what the preacher is supposed to do is here's what God says to do about that. Here's what God says we are supposed to do about that. So look at what God says in verse 5. Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned, okay, so do I have to do this? So when ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those 70 years, 
the wording here is very powerful. Did ye at all fast unto me? Then look at the repetition. Even to me. Look at the way it's asked. Did you at all? So we do things at Grace Baptist Church. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Let me make sure I keep my thought here. So what's going on in this is these people, as the Bible says, they drew near to God with their lips while their hearts were far from Him. So they didn't have to do this ritual, but they did it as if it were a spiritual ritual. Do you see that that's what's going on? And yet God says, did you even think of me at all while you were doing it? Or were you thinking about your sorrow, that you lost your house, that you lost your temple, that you were brought into captivity? Did it have anything to do with me at all? Do you see that's what God's asking? It goes on. Look at verse 6. And when ye did eat, and, drink, and when ye did drink, did ye not eat, what are those next two words? For yourselves, and drink for yourselves. So the question is, why do we do spiritual things? And these are the things that man had ordered. Why? Do we do those things? What about for us? So that was for them in the context. What about for us? What about our man-made rituals? So what are some man-made things that we do? How about Sunday school? How many of you know that Sunday school is not in the Bible? Seriously. But is Sunday school a bad thing? No. Is it a good thing? How many of you have ever been in a Sunday school class that really wasn't a good thing? Right? How many of you had that happen this morning? Now, just a better not answer that. It's interesting. That's a man-made ritual, and there's nothing wrong with it. But we come together at 10.30. Our service starts at 10.30. That's a man-made time frame. The reason that church started at that time in the United States originally was to give guys time to milk the cows. Did anyone milk a cow this morning? How many of you milked a cow this morning? <laughs> you did not. <laughs> so it, it's, it's really interesting we could move the church service. How many of you go to work before 8 o'clock? Would you raise your hands? You go to work before 8 o'clock. We could do church at 7 o'clock. Wouldn't matter. You'd give me time to play golf after we were done. It doesn't matter what time we do the church service. How many of you recognize that? That's a man-made ritual. Now, don't worry. We're not changing the church time, okay? Because we'd have to reprint stuff. I don't want to spend the money. It doesn't matter what time we meet. It simply does not. It's not important. That's a man-made thing. Meeting is not a man-made thing. Meeting is a God-mandated thing. Right? Why do we do it? Young people, many of you come to church not really even thinking about it because it's what we do on Sunday and your parents are going to make you come to church. Now, they probably don't have to make you. You're going to come anyway, but that's just what you do. At some point, when we get to the epic guys, girls, you guys are making your own choice. Many of you, others of you, your parents would say, as long as you're in my house, you're coming to church. Others of you, that conversation has never happened. You just decide to come to church. Why? Why are you doing that? All of us who are sitting in here, why are you here today? Now, some of you have probably already asked yourself that question. Why am I enduring this? Why are you doing it? Why are you here? Why? Do we do spiritual things? And here's the question. This is my question for you. 
And this is where we're starting to get into the part that I don't want to really talk about. Why am I preaching today? Well, because you all expect a sermon when you come here. And I'm not like you school teachers. I can't show a film strip or whatever. <laughs> Let's be honest. How many of you teachers have ever not wanted to teach a lesson you showed a movie or something? Honestly, raise your hands. How many of you have? You guys, you're not, changed my sermon to liars in the church. <laughs> so <laughs> why am I preaching today? And let me tell you something. And it's probably you don't think about the preacher and why he does what he's doing. You just expect a sermon when you come to church because that's what we do. But you know, sometimes I don't want to study and get ready for church. Why do I do it? Because it's my job and you expect it. Do you know what I wanted to do this Sunday? I told Laura, I wish I could just, we, what we call them, we preachers call them retreads something that we've preached before, you pull it out and preach it, because preaching a sermon is like, or preparing a sermon is like writing a 10 or 15 page paper. So think about that from when you were in school. Each message is basically like that. So it's a lot of time, it's a lot of work. And during the building process or other times, it, you know, things get busy and I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to do the study, but I made a mistake. I told you last week that we were going to be back in Zechariah. And so now if you come and I'm not back in Zechariah, now most of you don't listen and wouldn't have remembered that anyway, but Dodie knew would have written it down. And it, <laughs> She's back in the overflow. Hi, Dode. Nice to see you. Somebody would have remembered. I thought we were going to be back in Zechariah today. No, nobody ever does that to me. Seriously, no one ever does that kind of thing to me. Not even Dodie. Um. But if I tell you I'm going to do something, I want to do it. So here's why I started preparing my message. Because I had to. Now, how many of you really feel loved right now? I had to. Because, first of all, I had to have something ready. And secondly, I told you we were going to be back in Zechariah. So I started with a really, uh, I started with a really bad attitude. And then I start looking at this. Sometimes it's really a bummer to preach the Bible because while you're studying it, it kicks you in the teeth. Why am I preaching this today? Why am I doing it? Ready for this? Here's what got, look, look at verse uh, 5. End of verse 5. Did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? Was I studying this message for God? Now, let me tell you, by the end I was. <laughs> after repentance, after confession, after honestly sorrow, it got me. It really got me. And I mentioned to my family yesterday we really need this because this is a hard time for our family right now with everything that's going on with the building, with all that stuff. Why are we building this building? This is for me. This is for me. Why are we building this building? Why are we caring 
for these things? Is it for God or is it for... Look at the way the verse says it in verse 6. And when ye did eat and when ye did drink, did not ye eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Are we doing this for ourselves? Now, it will be a blessing to be here and use it. Amen? But is that why we're doing it? So remember the title of my message. Do I have to? Do I have to do this? So the, why do we do spiritual things? The first is the things that man has ordered. And then for us, man-made rituals, whether it's our time and what we're doing. Here's James Knox again. In this line of thinking, we not only see the apostasy which introduced observances of man's invention to the religious life of Israel, but also, listen, the pitiful sham such activities represent. These people had no heart for God. They were only sorry for their loss. They were not grieved for the sin that resulted in their captivity. They were only bothered to be captives. Let me read that again. They were not grieved for the sins that resulted in their captivity. They were only bothered to be captives. There is so much lip service paid to God in rescue missions, prisons, battlefields, hospital beds, and at church altars. And it all centers on this theme. Let me read you this theme, okay? I'm sorry for my suffering. God is somehow responsible. God's doing this to me because I did something. Tell me if any of this sounds familiar. I will do something religious to impress God. As soon as the suffering is over, I will abandon the religious activity as quickly as possible. How many of you are familiar with this line of thinking, right? I will return to the sins which brought about the suffering for which I was sorry. Such is the true circle of life among blasphemous mortals inside and outside the church. So I know that I have behaved that way before. How many of you would say that somewhere in there you've kind of been along with that? Remember what the Bible says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, sometimes God uses affliction to bring us back, to get our attention. I understand that. Do I have to? So, what about, why do I do spiritual things? Whether man-made spiritual things, like coming to church at a specific time, Sunday school, um, trunk or treat, man camp, the different things that we do, teen camp. Why do I do those things? So, let's bring it very personal. I talked about me. Why did I prepare this sermon? This is for you. Why are you sitting there right now? Why are you here? Why did you come? Now, let me just say this very quickly. There's nothing wrong with coming to church because you needed encouragement that day. That's not sin. That's the right place to go. That's not sin. Are you with me? You following me? We can't be on top of the mountain every minute of every day of every week. There are times when you just come, you need God's people. All right? But beyond that, why are you here today? Are you here to hear from God? Are you here to worship Him? Are you considering Him? Are you thinking of Him? Don't raise your hands on this. I'll testify. It's embarrassing to me how many times that I come into this room and I don't really think about God until the song service starts. That ever happened with you? Now, I might have thought of him during my sermon prep and whatever, 
Lord willing, that's what I'm doing. But it's amazing how often on a Sunday I come in here not really having thought about God very much at all. Some of you, you might be thinking about the clothes you're going to wear. You're thinking about what you're going to do afterward, where you're going to eat. You ladies might be thinking about the meal plan. Some of you might be thinking about other things. Some of you young people might be thinking, about, I'm going to see her. <laughs> There's all kinds of, hopefully you're not that creepy, but there are all kinds of things. Now, let me say this. Man, I want our young people to meet their significant other here in a godly place. Isn't that good? We want that. But something you could pray is, God, I want you to speak to her today. God, will you speak to me today? Bring God into it. Why are we? do we think about him, listen to what the Bible said, at all? Even to me, that's what he said, even at all. Okay, so why do we do spiritual things? That was the first question. Then why do we do, second question, why do we do secular things? Look at verse 6. So remember verse, verse 5 middle of the verse, when ye fasted and mourned, that's their spiritual thing, verse 6, and when ye did eat and when ye did drink, those are the secular things, okay, they're not fasting, they're just in their regular day lives, and when ye did eat and when ye did drink, did not ye eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves, Bob Jones Sr., he was a Methodist evangelist, and he founded Bob Jones University, he said this, There is no difference between the secular and the sacred. To the Christian, all ground is holy ground and every bush a burning bush. Isn't that good? You guys don't think that's good. Let me read it again. You'll like it better the second time. There is no difference between the secular and the sacred. To the Christian, all ground is holy ground and every bush a burning bush. We should not have a church life and a world life. It should be the same. If you know me, I should be the same up here as I am at home. We should all be the same everywhere because to the Christian, everything is sacred. There's no such thing as the secular for the believer. Keep your place in the book of Zechariah. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, we all know 1 Corinthians 10.32. We look at that often here at Grace Baptist. But we're going to look at verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. Here's the instruction for the believer. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So it's interesting. Fasting can be a good thing. As a matter of fact, it's very healthy to fast. There are people that don't have anything to do with God that will tell you that periodic fasting is good for you. It'll help you. Um, for p- dementia patients, they space out their meals because that lack of food helps them to regain some of their cognitive ability. So fasting can be good for you. That doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you're fasting to God. When you're fasting to lose weight, that's for yourself. When you're fasting to get something from God or to focus on Him by denying your flesh, that can be a good thing. Do you know that we're never commanded to as believers? You don't have to. But if you choose to do it by the directing of the Holy Spirit, are you doing it for Him or are you doing it for you? That's the idea. That's the thinking behind it. But here, whether we're fasting or not, look at what it says, verse 31. 
Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So here's my question. Why do you eat? Well, because you've got to eat. Really? Yes, you do. You do have to eat. But are you doing that to the glory of God? What's interesting, eating and drinking, is there anything more fundamental to your existence than eating and drinking? No. Lord willing, it happens every day. Right? All of that is supposed to be done to the glory of God. Why do you eat what you eat? I will say this. Since it's the first Sunday of the new year, some of us need to, if we were eating and drinking to the glory of God, we might eat better. We might eat less. We might do something that will help us physically because our body belongs to God. We're going to eat and drink to the glory of God. How many of you know that drinking 10 Mountain Dews a day is not good for you? How many of you know that? How many of you know? Then don't do it. Stop it. Are you following what I'm saying? Let's do that to the glory of God. But that's not really what the teaching is. The teaching isn't about your health. It's about your spiritual health. It's acknowledging God for everything. You know, there are Christians who think you're not supposed to eat, supposed to eat bacon. I feel so sorry for those Christians. <laughs> what was it the guy said? The bacon's the only food that celebrates while it's cooking? Yay! <laughs> when you, you want to make something better, what do you do? When you want to make another meat better, what do you do? You wrap it in bacon. Right? Remember what God told Peter to do. He told him to eat the bacon. And then he said, it's all good for you if you eat it with Thanksgiving. What is the Thanksgiving part? It's remembering God. It's doing it to God. Amen? Fantastic. I just love it. Why do we do what we do? Look at the book of Colossians. Colossians 3. Look at verse 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So here's my question to you. And I've already told you that I stink at this. And so I'm really asking God to help me with it. I'm praying that I'm a different person after this week, learning and, and trying to grow. I'm praying that God's going to help me to really be a different person on this. But let me ask you. Whether it's your job, whether it's driving to work, whether it's getting the kids ready, whether it's playing, playing ball, whether it's playing a video game, whatever it is, are you doing that for the Lord and with a thankful heart? Are, do, are you doing it for the Lord and with a thankful heart? How many of you, honestly, that that's a difficult question right now? Would you be honest with me that that's a difficult question? We could change everything. So like right now, it's inconvenient to come to church. I did not, I promise I did not plan this, what I'm about to say. I didn't plan it at all. It's inconvenient to come to church right now because of the construction and the mess and all of that. Why are you coming? If it's for him, then a little mess or inconvenience is not a big deal. Why, why do you clean the bathrooms at the church? Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Do you do it for him? Do you do it for the Lord? Now, here's what's so cool about you guys. I've said this to you so many times. I'm thankful for Grace Baptist because of the, just the, the character that you have. You do things because they need to be done. You're, you're not going to leave it to somebody else. You're going to do it because that's the right thing to do. 
Where is God in that? Now, let me say, I'm very thankful that we have those people instead of lazy people. Amen? I'd rather have you change your motive, motives than try to get you to do something that you're refusing to do. So as pastor, thank you for letting me be your pastor. But now that you're doing those things right and well, why are you doing them? Are you doing them because they need to be done? Are you doing them because God has given you the opportunity to do it? Dave McCracken would always say, we don't have to, we get to. It's such a good thing to think about. So why do we do secular things? And then lastly, what does God want from us? So first of all, why do we do spiritual things? Secondly, why do we do spiritual things? Then third, uh, why do we do spiritual things? Secondly, why do we do secular things? And then thirdly, what does God want? What does God want? So let's go back to Zechariah. It's interesting. I have all these thoughts when I'm getting ready to preach. Um, I had a preacher say to me one time, he was older than me, I was younger at that point, and he said, um, don't make the mistake of thinking that every sermon has to be better than the last one. That's what he said to me. And here's the thought that I had. What, I want it to be worse? I don't even understand that. I don't even get it. I want everything to be as good as it can be. Now, how many of you know you're going to fail at that, right? I don't want to change that. Um, Back to Colossians 3 before we do the Zechariah thing. Colossians 3. Now, I understand that this sermon might not be as good as some others that I preached or whatever. I get that. So, Colossians 3, look at verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Heartily. What is it? Give your heart to it. Give your heart to it. How many of you have ever seen someone you know that their heart's not in it? So I used to play a lot of basketball. I know that's surprising, but I used to play a lot of basketball. And here's what I would get really frustrated with. Big, lazy guys. Because I was small. I had to work really hard to do whatever I was going to do in basketball. And so there'd be a guy, I mean, no cutters. Don't allow somebody to come through the lane. And all you have to do, there's the, out, there's the out of bounds right there. If you put one foot out of bounds, they can't get behind you. Stop them from coming through the lane. Do we have any basketball coaches here? You're with me on this? No cutters, right? You with me? You're not with me. I don't care. All right. <laughs> Rebounding. You know, some big guy, oh, I didn't get the ball. I don't care. And here's what we'd say. Put your heart in it. Here's another thing. Yeah, he was out there, but it was kind of half-hearted. Right? It's horrible. Got playoff football today. Pray for the Bears. I know that God cares about this. Pray for the Bears. They're playing today, I think, at 4 o'clock. Ty's going to be preaching tonight. I'll be watching football. Praise God for recording devices. Um, Isn't it awful when somebody doesn't give enough effort? I was preaching at Dalton Robertson's church one time. He had a conference. There were three preachers. He brought in this big-name preacher, and that guy mailed it in. You could tell he was filling an appointment on his calendar. He didn't care about the people. He didn't care about the message. He mailed it in. It was awful. Laura's former pastor, a guy named Sam Davison, 
I've never seen anybody like this. If he's preaching in front of 2,000 people, if he's preaching in front of 20 people, it's exactly the same. Because that's his calling. Never half-hearted. So for us, what we are supposed to do, whatever God has us to do, we need to give our whole heart to it. Amen? So here, I want to ask you this. Is there anything that God has given you to do, an opportunity that God has given you to do, and you're saying, you know what, I just don't think my heart's in it anymore. Does that mean that God's done with you, or do you maybe need to say, God, I am doing this for you. This is for you. Okay, we're back in Zechariah chapter 7. Let's finish this up. So what does God want from us? Verse 7, verse 6, I'm sorry. And when ye did eat, and when ye did drink, did not ye eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Now look, at here's what God wants us to do. Verse 7. Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets, when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity, and the cities thereof round about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain. So here's what God's saying. Okay, so now you've been mourning, and I judged you because of what you did before. So the reason that you went into judgment, the reason you had this trouble is you did not listen to the prophets. You did not listen to the Word of God. Shouldn't you listen to the Word of God now? Do you see that that's what God's saying? So what's the message for us today? Shouldn't we listen to the Word of God? Shouldn't we listen to it? And what did God tell us about all these commandments and about all of these things? That there are two great commandments which contain all the other statutes and ordinances of the Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy... Uh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the way it's written in Mark chapter 12. And according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, one who kept these two precepts, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, if you keep those two precepts, you end up keeping all the others. Isn't that interesting? So what does God want us to do? He wants us to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and He wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So what's the enemy? What is the enemy? We often know that pride is our enemy. Isn't that right? But you know what is probably even worse than pride is selfishness. Selfishness. You won't won't have one more fight with your wife unless you're selfish. You won't have one more fight with your husband unless you're selfish. The reason that people steal things is because they're selfish. The reason that people stop serving God is because they didn't get enough credit for it. Why? Because it was about them. It wasn't about God. It's because we are selfish. The issue is selfishness. So what God says is stop focusing on you. It's not for yourself. Do it for me. Do it for me. Do it for me. Why are you doing what you're doing? There can be but one sin, the sin of selfishness. Now, let's finish up here. Go to Romans. We really are done. How many of you have noticed I've been trying to preach shorter? I really have been. Today is, eh. Romans 14. Look at verse 6. This is not the place for a short joke right there, some of you. All right. Look at verse 6. Romans 14 and verse 6. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he giveth God thanks 
and he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Remember, this is meat offered to idols. doesn't matter whether you eat it or you don't eat it. Are you not eating it for the Lord or are you eating it for the Lord? That's what he's talking about. Look at verse 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Look at verse 17. Verse 16. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. So look at what it says in verse 18 again. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Look, do you want to have a good name? Serve God. You want to be a good dad? Do it for God. You want to be a good mom? Do it for God. You want to be a good student, a good friend, good athlete? Do it for God. That's what it all comes down to, folks. Why are we doing what we're doing? So remember the title of this message. Do I have to? In a lot of cases, no. You don't have to crawl across a courtyard on your knees to get your sins forgiven. What do you have to do to get your sins forgiven? Lord Jesus, forgive me. Isn't that wonderful? You receive that as a free gift. What about the things that God has asked us to do? Tell others about Jesus. Give to the Lord's work. Be, be mutually helpful among God's people. As you have opportunity, therefore do good, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. Those things that we're commanded to do. Those things that, that God tells us, yeah, you got to do this. Why are we doing it? And then everything else, why do we eat? Why do we drink? Why do we work? Why do we play? Is any of it for God? Now, I'm done. I'm done. I'll ask you one last question. How many of you have noticed that I've not preached against one activity or behavior today? How many of you noticed that? This is worse. Francis Schaeffer, in his book, True Spirituality, talked about how he noticed that he had become a believer from atheism. And he noticed that what he saw in the Bible wasn't the same thing that he saw at church. It's interesting, isn't it? And he said, what I saw was this list of taboos. And then I saw two different groups. You had those who wanted to have the list of taboos. So don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And we've all been to churches like that. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Then you have other believers who say, away with all lists. Everything's okay. He said, what I found was when I said, away with all lists, all of a sudden I was confronted with all of the commands of God. It's easier to follow a list, isn't it? See, true spirituality is understanding that everything belongs to God. It's all His. All my life belongs to Him. And if I do everything for Him, that makes my life better. It brings glory to Him and it helps me. Isn't that good? Do you know that God helps us? God, God understands that we're selfish. And so He rewards us for doing things that bring Him glory. So let's be those kinds of people. Amen? Why are you here today? Why are you coming back tonight, you disciplers? Why next Sunday are we going to be here and in our place? Why are we going to work tomorrow? Why are we doing everything we're doing? Why are we doing it? Where is the Lord in it? Have we thought of Him at all. Do I have to? I, I don't have to do anything. I'm under grace. But man, I get to do a lot of stuff for him. Amen?
Let's all stand together. Do you all see why I didn't want to preach that? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we building this building? Why are we doing these things? Why do we want it to be clean? Why do we want it to be nice? Why do we care? Why do we care about all these things? Why are we doing it? If you're here today, I want to ask you this question. If you're here today and you're not sure of your eternity, why are you denying Him? Why are you waiting? Today is the day of salvation. Do you know that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? If you don't, why not? Jesus Christ has offered you the gift of eternal life. How many of you here know that you're saved? You know that you're saved. Well, then why are you living? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? Let's ask ourselves that question. Let's make, let's make this year different. Amen? Why are we doing what we're doing? Let's sing this. Oh, so are you weird?